Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, life has some big pressing questions, doesn't it? Those questions that kind of make you wonder. I find myself in moments frequently where I scratch my head and I think to myself, did that just really happen? And maybe you have these moments in life where you walk away with more questions than you do answers. This happened to me recently when I went to the doctor. I don't know if you've been to the doctor recently, but there's lots of things that happen when you go for a doctor's visit that always just elicit a lot of questions in me, starting with the stack of papers that I was handed when I showed up for my annual physical. Now, keep in mind, this is the same paperwork that I filled out last year, and it's the same paperwork that I'll have to probably fill out next year, but I start going through, hoping I don't get carpal tunnel as I'm going through this process, and one of the questions that it asked me is, when was the date of your last tetanus shot? And I'm thinking to myself, who has committed that to memory? You know, I have my birthday, I have my wife's birthday, I have my anniversary down pat, but tetanus shot, yeah, I don't have that up here. And it asked me for the address of my pharmacy, and I'm thinking, I don't know that. And... And then it asked me about my vision score, and I'm thinking, I don't know that. And I'm estimating and thinking, I don't know if I should be guessing when my tetanus shot was, but here goes nothing, 2018, I guess. And then you get to the next level of questions, and it asks you, are you stressed? And I'm thinking to myself, on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressed are you? And I'm like, well, I have two kids under the age of 10 uh, who do lots of activities and things, and I lead a church, I work with people all day, so I'm going to give myself a 5 out of 10 because I don't want to be judged in that moment. And then you get to the actual health questions. Does anyone in your family have high blood pressure? You know, is there anything else you want to talk about today? And I'm I'm like, no. And I'm done with the paperwork. And I go hand the paperwork in. And this is where the questions really start surfacing. They call me back for me to see the doctor and a nurse walks in. And this joke is something that I can actually say because my wife is a nurse. So I have full credibility to be able to say this. And the nurse walks in with a laptop and she starts typing. And the first question she asks, Mr. Hale, when was your last tetanus shot? Uh, 2018, I think, as evidenced by what I estimated on that paperwork that you're holding in your hand right now. Uh, Does anybody in your family struggle with high blood pressure? It's there. Look, do you have a pharmacy you would like us to put on file? Yeah, I saw a Publix right next door. That'll be fine. If you want to be, and I have these moments where I'm thinking to myself, has this happened to you? Has this happened to anybody, any of our campuses, anybody online, where you're wondering, why are they asking me questions that I've already estimated the answers to? 
I've already given you all of this clarity, and now I'm having to go through all of it again. Or maybe you have these questions whenever you unsubscribe from an email five times and you still get emails from said company. And you're thinking to yourself, why is that happening? Speaking of email, why is reply all a feature that is used so frequently out there in day-to-day life? And I'm thinking to myself, we've got to rein this in. I have questions when I think about the month of May. I love our school system. I support our school systems. I love all of our teachers and administrators. But we need to slow our roll when it comes to the month of May. For you parents that made it through May, it is now June. Give yourself a pat on the back because we survived the month of May, if there was a suggestion box, a place for question and answers, I would say, could we maybe do the talent show in February opposed to the Tuesday before school is out? It's all of these questions. We have pressing questions in life, but I also have lots of pressing spiritual questions. I read the Bible and I ask myself, where are the dinosaurs? Or I see the Bible and I know that someday, you know, we'll be in heaven if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of my questions for God is, what were you thinking when you created giraffes? I just don't get it. You know, it's just so unique and so different. Well, this morning, we set our sights on Romans chapter 7, and in Romans chapter 7, you see a question. In fact, we see a question that many of us struggle with, and it's right there in Romans chapter 7. It's it's a question that has plagued many of us, dare I say, probably something you have asked yourself. You assuredly know people who have asked this question, and it's a question that I believe if we could get some clarity on, it would really guide us and it would really help us understand what it means to take those next steps in our faith journey. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning and ask God to speak boldly through His Word, to meet us here through His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and help us walk away today changed because of Him. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for an opportunity to be in your presence. I'm grateful for who you are, and I'm grateful for all of the things that you're doing for a powerful morning of worship already. And I pray that through your word now, God, that you would change us, that you would shape us, and that you would make us more and more like you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Well, a special welcome to each and every one of you. I do want to say a special welcome to all of our campuses who are joining us today. My name is Jason Hale, and I get the privilege of serving as the campus pastor at the Nolansville campus, and I'm so grateful to serve and to shepherd there at our Nolansville campus and grateful for what God is doing. Uh, For those of you here at Franklin, thank you for having me back. I uh, spent the first seven years of my ministry here at our Franklin campus before we started regional campuses, and it's just always a joy for me to be here with you. For those of you at Haywood Hills, welcome to the Rolling Hills family. We're grateful for you for our Columbia campus. We see you guys. We see the setup and the teardown every week, and we're excited for you as you're journeying into this new season of a building. Thank you for all that's happening in Nashville. We're just excited about the work that's happening up in Nashville for our Nashville campus. And of course, all of you online, whether you are in Pennsylvania or Africa or somewhere here in Middle Tennessee, a special welcome to you. All of our guests who are with us at any of our campuses today, we're so grateful for each and every one of you. And we continue this morning in this series called Masterclass, where we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. And it's so deep, and it's so And today we continue into the deep end of the pool in Romans chapter 7. And so this question that that, that really kind of bugs me, this question that I want us to bring clarity to is is really answered in Romans chapter 7 verse 18. So before we read any more of Romans 7, I want to jump right in the middle and ask you to follow along with me in Romans chapter 7 verse 18. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. You can hop on one of our mobile devices as well. But listen to what Paul says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So what is the question? Maybe you want to write this down because this morning we keep coming back to this. And my prayer is that throughout the course of this week, you would keep coming back to this question. Simply put, the question is, why do Christians still struggle with sin? Why do Christians still struggle with sin? Maybe you've asked yourself that question before. I know I have certainly asked myself that question. Why, as a believer in Christ, do I still struggle with sin? Why, as someone who's been baptized, as someone who serves, as someone who has answered a call to ministry, why do we still have these carnal desires? Why do we have these sins that we struggle with? And if we get deep into the book of Romans, chapter 7 specifically, Paul brings us some clarity. He brings us some insight into why those struggles are so present. So if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 1. You can follow along with me on the screen as well. Starting in verse 1, reading down through verse 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law. It is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death." But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So you have Paul writing this letter to the churches in Rome. And Rome was made up of churches, Jews and Gentiles alike. And what we've been talking about in this series is that all of us are sinners. The Jews, the Gentiles, they all have sin. We all have sin that separates us from God. But particularly here, he's referencing the Jews. And Paul is saying to them that you've been under the covenant of the law, and that law now falls short. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The law had authority. The law was good. But just like a woman who was married and her husband dies, she is released from that covenant of marriage to go marry someone else. And just as Jesus is now here, you're released from that covenant law. And the true sign of a relationship with God now is not just following all the law. It's not just checking all the boxes, but it's now a matter of the heart. Because a theme of Romans is that you are justified by faith, that it's faith that makes us right. And so what Paul's trying to get us to understand, if you go back to verse 6, he says, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He says, because of Jesus, you've been released from the law to serve in a new way. And you live and you serve under the power of the Spirit. Now, spoiler alert, you got to come back next Sunday because in Romans chapter 8, we unpack what it means to live life according to the Spirit. But Paul is introducing that theme. He's introducing to us the power of the Holy Spirit because he's saying to live according to the Spirit, it's all about motivation. It's all about your heart. It's all about what's happening on the inside. It's all about those attitudes that you have. Now, when it comes to the Old Testament law, was the law bad? Is the law bad? Not at all. Paul addresses that. He's just showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and it's not the law that makes us holy and right anymore, but rather being justified through faith. So head with me to verse 7. Keep scrolling down as we read verses 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. 
For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So Paul's saying the Old Testament law wasn't sinful. Rather, it was the law that helped me realize my sin. Because in the Old Testament law, there was a law that said, don't covet. And that meant that you weren't to, you know, to have this deep desire for something that someone else had. You're not supposed to desire other people's things. And people says it was because of sin that, that was birthed in me that I realized this, this error in my ways. It was the law that helped make it clear as to why I was having these thoughts, because without the law, I wouldn't know that it was, that it was bad to desire your Range Rover opposed to my Dodge Stratus. It's the law that helps you realize that that desire and that yearning for that is wrong. Without the law, I wouldn't know that that is bad. And Paul says, that's what's happening inside of me, is that there is sin that's manifesting itself. Not in contradiction to the law, but it's manifesting itself at every juncture. And maybe you would be honest enough to say this morning, it's true for us as well, isn't it? That sin continues to manifest itself in our life. In fact, sin seizes every opportunity. Have you seen that to be true in your life? Sin seizes opportunities, doesn't it? Sin finds those moments in your life, and it will weasel its way in. He says in verse 11, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. See, sin deceived me. And he said the law made that clear. It was the law that dug the path, but it was my sin that made me walk on the path. It was the law that dug the path, but my sin made me, made me walk on the path. Did you know if you go all the way back to the beginning? when sin was introduced into the world through the evil one, that one of the primary tactics of the enemy from day one was to deceive you, to make you think that sin is not bad. In fact, he comes to Adam and Eve and he says, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden? Did God really say that? Because I think if you eat it, you'll have full wisdom and you'll know everything. He was a deceiver. The enemy has sold them and continues to sell us half-truths. And we're still deceived by that. Sin finds those little cracks in our armor, and it wars in our spirit. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, which is another writing of Paul, he writes this to a church in Galatia. In this letter, he talks about what it means to live by the Spirit. And he talks about what it means to live a life that's full of the fruit of the Spirit. We did a sermon series on this not too long ago. I would encourage you across any of our campuses, if you're online, to scroll back and find that sermon series because it's so good as we took kind of step by step throughout these fruit of the Spirit. But these fruit of the Spirit are the manifestations of a life that's lived for holiness in our life. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand at any of our campuses, anywhere online, and especially here today, but have you ever struggled to show the fruit of the Spirit in those moments when you're pressed? 
Are you ever in struggling to find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Do you ever struggle to show those things? You're in church this morning. I would encourage you not to lie, especially here. We struggle with those, don't we? If you're ever in traffic, patience is probably not what you want to show, but you want to show something else. Maybe your kids listen to you all the time. Sometimes mine don't. And gentleness is not sometimes the fruit that I want to show in those conversations. It's a raised voice or it's harsh words or whatever the case might be. Maybe if you work with people at any point in time, love is not always on the forefront of your mind. You want to respond sometimes with an unloving nature. Or if you're at an amusement park, some of you are headed to amusement parks this summer and you always have that kid that cuts line in front of everybody else. Kindness does not surface in me in that moment. In fact, it's truly unkind thoughts that come to me in that moment. Why do those things happen? Because sin seizes those opportunities in our life. It's where Paul is headed with this text. He's saying sin will always find a home and sin will seize all of those opportunities. It finds those places where you don't have those guardrails, even if you don't want it to happen. We don't want sin to happen in our life. We don't want to still struggle with sin. Paul didn't want to continue struggling with sin, but he did. And if we keep scrolling down in verse 14 through 25, we begin to see what this struggle is all about and why we have these issues. Now, verses 14 through 25, these are verses that it's really hard to get lost in the weeds on this. So I'm going to read it very slowly so that we can all kind of understand it together. This is as much for me as it is for all of you. Starting in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now you read that and you probably think to yourself, it sounds like Paul's having a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment there. Because he is, because he's saying, I do what I don't want to do. I know that I'm doing what I shouldn't do. And then what I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then I end up doing what I don't want to do. And I know that there's remorse in my life because I'm struggling with things that I know that I shouldn't be struggling with. I'm a wretched man. And you, you read this and you feel like you need a whiteboard to dissect all of these doo-doo words. Like what is Paul saying here? But in essence, He's giving us insight into why he still struggles with sin, which gives us insight into why we still struggle with sin today. And it's right there in verse 18. Let's go back there one more time. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He says, there's a sinful nature in me that prevents me sometimes from doing good. That phrase, sinful nature, 
It's a Greek word, sarx. And if you go look that word up, it's literally translated flesh. And in some of other Paul's writings, maybe your translation actually says the word flesh there, that it's because of my flesh that I do what I do not want to do. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, which again is a writing of Paul, listen to what he says. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Did you catch that? There is flesh in your life, and that flesh is in contrary nature to the Spirit of God working in your life. He says there's a constant battle. These are constantly at war inside of me. It's why I do the things that I don't want to do. It's why I think the thoughts that I don't want to think. Do you know if you've made a profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ? If you're at one of our campuses, or maybe you're in Kansas today, and you're wondering what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that you would realize that when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, He changes you from the inside out. It's the beautiful power of the gospel that we are made whole, and that while we were sinners, Christ still died for us, for everyone today. I hope that you realize the joy that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. But when you make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, what happens on the inside of you? What happens to your heart? Your heart is changed. Your attitude is changed. Your motivations are changed. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. You're able to have joy in the midst of chaos. You're able to have peace in the midst of the life storms that you and I encounter. It's amazing what happens inside of us through the power of God, through salvation. But what actually happens to our flesh? What actually happens to our bodies when we make a profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ? Our insides are changed, but what happens to our flesh? Nothing. Nothing. Some of you were bald before Jesus, and you're bald after Jesus. Some of you had cancer before Jesus, and you still struggle with cancer now. You had bumps and bruises back then, before Jesus, And you have bumps and bruises now. The Spirit lives inside of you, but until we are all called home, until we get a resurrected body, which we are promised in heaven, we will always struggle with sin because there is a flesh that we have that is in constant battle with the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. So maybe you're hearing this for the very first time today, and I would encourage you to write this down. See, the temptation to do what you're not supposed to do doesn't make you terrible. It makes you normal. (laughs) I'm not giving you permission to go live a life of sin today. If you think that's what I'm saying in this point, you really have misconstrued what I'm saying. But those temptations that you have in your life, they don't make you terrible people. They make you normal people, just like Paul, who says in verse 15, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. See, why do I still want to sin? I'm a follower of Jesus. I've prayed for that temptation to go away. I've prayed for those struggles to go away. Why are they still here? It's because my flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. And last week in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, we said, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I have to make a choice every day to say, You know what? I'm not going to let sin reign in my flesh. I'm going to continually be renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to build guardrails into my life. I'm going to find accountability. I'm going to find a group. I'm going to find a Bible study group. I'm going to join a community group here at Rolling Hills. I'm going to take those next steps of committing to follow God's Word every day. But maybe you're like me and you're just really pragmatic and you think to yourself, why don't I just get all that right now? My insides are changed. Why isn't my flesh not changed? Why do I still struggle? Why is this the way that God wrote my story? 
I believe if you never struggled, if you never had any of those unknowns, if you never had to fight off any of those temptations, you probably wouldn't need faith anymore. And what's one of the themes of the book of Romans? You are justified by faith. Have you ever had uncertainty in your life and you wish that God would just make it all abundantly clear? And you've asked God, God, please just show me steps one through 10. And when you show me everything, when you eliminate all the risk and when you make everything abundantly clear, then I will take my step of faith. Has that worked out for you? Probably not. Because if that were to happen, if God were to make everything abundantly clear and show you all of the potential pitfalls in your life, you would probably say, I don't need you anymore. Maybe you're down at a Columbia campus and you're wondering, why has it taken so long for this to happen? Or why has it taken so long for this to happen in my life? Or why is this struggle still present? See, it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. And I believe that you would likely take the grace of God for granted without that ongoing battle of right versus wrong. You would probably likely take the grace of God for granted without that ongoing battle of right versus wrong. It's why he says in chapter 7, verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to get our strength from him. And as we grow closer and closer and closer to him, and as we become more and more dependent on him, then we do move away from those sins and we build guardrails in our life and we get that strength from the power of the Holy Spirit to fight off those temptations. But those things don't go away because you have a flesh that again is constantly at battle with the Holy Spirit working in you. Maybe it's been your experience, but I find that we talk a lot about sin pre-conversion. And we say, you need to give your control to Jesus. You need to confess all those sins. All those things are true, accurate. It's a very beautiful reflection of what it means to follow Jesus and to, to, to understand the power of the gospel. But we're really shortchanging ourselves if we don't continue talking about the power that sin can have in our life post-conversion because those struggles are still present. And so it's incumbent upon all of us to help each other to find an accountability partner, to find someone who can hold you accountable and say, you know what, I I want you to walk with me through this journey that I am experiencing. It's kind of like if you make a commitment to physical health. And let's just say you wake up tomorrow and you say, you know what, I want to get physical, I want to get healthier. And I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to stop eating carbs. I'm going to stop eating sugar, whatever the case might be. And let's just say you're successful in that. And you find yourself a year from now healthier than you have ever been. No one who has gone through that journey would, would be able to say, no, sometimes we make mistakes and we fall back into our old ways, but no one who has actually made that commitment would say, now that I have arrived, I can just go back to my old way of living. I have reached the physical health that I need, so I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Bring me the Krispy Kremes. In fact, bring me an entire dozen because I reached my goal and I have nothing else to worry about. You have nothing else to worry about until you go back to where you started. And then you realize it's a vicious cycle. It's the same way when it comes with our sinful nature. That sinful nature doesn't go away, meaning I have to constantly fight and I have to constantly be disciplined. It's no different with that ongoing battle of right versus wrong. I believe that we would take the grace of God for granted if we didn't go through those struggles Whereas if you allow them to, your struggles will actually tether you to the mercy of God like nothing else ever will. So how about this morning we say, let's don't bemoan the fact that we have a nature that struggles or that maybe we 
are tempted. But how about we realize if I allow them to, those struggles will tether me. They will hold me tight. They will, they will, they will be uh, what, what grasps me closer to God than anything else in my life and will help me realize the mercy of God like nothing else may ever do. When's the last time you stopped to think about that? That maybe the very things that I'm tempted through, those are the things that will tether me to God's grace more than anything else because I realize what He has brought me from and I realize what He has saved me from. I realize what I'm capable of doing and I make that daily reminder to say, Lord, I want to stay in Your grace and I want to stay in Your mercy today. Back to verse 24, Paul uses the word wretched to describe himself. He says, what a wretched man I am. See, this is in light of his struggles. And it's in light of him saying, I've struggled, I've had temptations, I've done what I don't want to do. I still question, why do I have those thoughts that I don't need to have? And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here you have Paul in full acknowledgement of the grace of God in full acknowledgement of the Spirit working through him, and in full acknowledgement of his own sinful nature, saying, I am a wretched man. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? I need to be rescued. I need a rescuer. Do you know if you go back and study what's actually happening in ancient Rome around this time, it's, it's really disturbing. It's not for the faint of heart to Google what was happening in ancient Rome. Because there were lots of punishments, there were lots of things that the government would impose upon folks who had committed crimes that were so cruel, that were so unusual, that are really intense, and that are really difficult for us to even talk about. But there's one particular that I want to share with you this morning that often what would happen in ancient Rome is if someone committed murder, one of the most common forms of punishment in ancient Rome for a murderer was for them to actually have the corpse of the dead body the person that they murdered actually shackled to their body and they would carry around that dead corpse. It was a punishment. You would actually have this dead, rotting, decomposing corpse attached to your body and that was your punishment. And often what would happen is over time, the infection and the mess of the corpse would make you sick and it would cause your body to shut down and eventually it would cause death to you. And now you have Paul, who has done stints in prison, who understands Roman culture, who understands Roman law, is writing this letter to the very people that some of these punishments have endured through. And then you go back and read verse 24, and you realize Paul would have had understanding of the types of punishment that criminals and that those who had committed crimes had gone through. And when he says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul is saying, there is death on my back and I need rescued. There is brokenness in my life, and I need a rescuer because I am wretched. Who will save me? I need help. And it says right there in verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. I need rescued. I need help. Where is that help going to come from? Thanks be to God who rescues me. Thanks be to God who delivers me. Did you know that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, you're delivered from that wretched state? Through Jesus Christ, you don't have to be defined by those sins and those struggles anymore because he has made you whole. And so this morning, I pray that you will allow the knowledge 
of the power of the gospel to bind you to Christ, that you would allow this to give you more desperation for holy living. That instead of asking all the questions and and pondering all these questions, why do I still struggle with that? What am I supposed to do with that? Instead of saying, instead of having some unrealistic expectations, why don't you allow that to transition you to a place of worship? To where you say, God, because you have saved me from so much, I will raise my hands and acknowledge you for who you are. Because you have rescued me from a wretched state, I will invest in things that really, really matter. Because you have brought me from brokenness, I will grab the arm of someone else who is broken and let them know you are not alone in your battle. And through that accountability and through those spiritual disciplines, we grow in our faith in full realization that we are a work in progress. And that this side of heaven, those struggles, they're going to continue to persist. So let me get this straight, Pastor Jason. (laughs) You're saying that this side of heaven, the struggles that I'm facing in my life may not go away? Yes, it's exactly what I'm saying. But it's not just my words, it's the word of God. There is a constant battle, a constant warring. And so perhaps again, for the first time today, we need to give ourselves some grace. Here's what I would suggest. Give yourself some grace, just don't give yourself grace to go do whatever you want. Give yourself some grace, but just don't give yourself some grace to do whatever you want. See, the grace of God is not a license to go sin. Paul addresses that. The grace of God is not just to go and do whatever you want to do because sin is still sin. Sin was sin yesterday, sin is sin today, and sin will be sin tomorrow. But by the grace of God, we can celebrate every morning that His mercies are new every morning. And that I can wake up this morning and I can say, as far as the east is from the west, those sins are not a part of my story anymore. The temptations might be there, the struggles might be there, but praise God, He is my daily bread. And a daily dying to self means that I can commit to Him and follow Him. So perhaps this morning you feel a little bit like Paul, where there's some temptations or maybe there's some struggles. And you've wondered your entire adult life, what am I supposed to do with that? You're tempted in areas that just don't make sense. See, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, you can be delivered. You can be set free. And through Jesus, you find that strength. And if you're here today and you need strength, you're in a very good place. If you're one of our campuses today and you need strength, you're in a very good place. If you're sitting somewhere at home, maybe here in Middle Tennessee, and you're wondering, does anybody see me? Does anybody know the struggles that I'm going through? There may not be a human that knows what you're going through, but I trust and I hope that you realize that the God of this universe who created you, he knows what you're dealing with. And if you need the strength this morning from the Lord, I pray that you would find it here today and that you would walk in the newness of life. And so this morning, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment across all of our campuses because we want to give you an opportunity today to remember the strength and where that strength really comes from. To be reminded in your life of what He has done for you and to be reminded that in the midst of your brokenness that you can respond to the one who gave all for you. The one who doesn't hold your sin against you but gives you the joy and the peace and the freedom that you so desperately need. So Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. We're grateful for all that you have done in our lives. 
And we pray that you would find us faithful as we seek to respond to you today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.